0: Broadcasting live from from the makers of blue milk comes beige milk, now available in a weird lantern jug. This is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Seamus Connolly.
1: And I'm Garrett Strother.
0: And today we are doing a little bit of catch-up on the show here. We're, we're tackling the next two episodes of Andor, episodes four and five, just so we can keep pace with the consistency of this show's week-to-week releases. And... I think we're going to have a pretty interesting conversation about it today, Garrett. We got a couple good episodes under our belt here.
1: I agree. We're really getting into the meat of the show now. And I'm very curious about where we're going. It's definitely heading in a direction that I wasn't expecting it to Mm. take exactly. But before we get into all that, we do have a decent chunk of news here, including some hotly anticipated discourse that you and i are about to get into (laughs) regarding a certain beloved video game character
0: but before we get too far into that bit of news why don't we start off with the announcement that kingdom of the planet of the apes is coming in 2024 it's going to be starring owen teague freya allen and peter mccann and it's going to be directed by wes ball these are all people I am incredibly unfamiliar with, except for the fact that Wes Ball directed all of those Maze Runner movies that I saw a third of and kind of liked.
1: So, this is the start of a new Planet of the Apes trilogy directly tied to the previous Planet of the Apes trilogy, but picking up sometime afterward. Did you see War for the Planet of the Apes, Seamus? Yeah,
0: I, I actually, I did a an IMAX triple feature of oh, yeah. all of them when the when War came out. It was like a week before the official premiere and there was some special event. It was an experience. And I, I as a whole, the, that trilogy, I really, really enjoy it, having zero other connection to the Planet of the Apes movies. I think
1: it's one of the best trilogies and one of the only true trilogies in recent memory. Mm. I think it's really frustrating that in line with the we just have to over-franchise everything. It's not that I'm frustrated that there is a Planet of the Apes reboot, because obviously that previous trilogy was a reboot Mm, of a long, long franchise. But the fact that we are having to specifically pick up the story that I think was very well put to bed at the end of War for the Planet of the Apes, and the fact that presumably, given a time jump, there won't be any characters that we know from the previous installments. So, I don't really know what we're doing here. The tone of Maze Runner is probably the best part of that first Maze Runner, the one of them I've seen, which seems compatible with the tone of an Apes film, but I just don't really... Have any interest in seeing this, despite how much I like those three Andy Circus Planet of the Apes movies?
0: Yeah, man, I'm pretty much right there with you. We, I wouldn't say we had a perfect game going with that first reboot trilogy there, but I mean, again, I really enjoy them as a whole, and as a story that, like you said, was wrapped up fairly neatly in a way that I was satisfied with, even if War for the Planet of the Apes might have been the dip in the three of those movies in terms of like how much I enjoyed it I can't see myself run into the theater to see kingdom of the planet of the apes I I'm not super excited but I'm hoping that will change if if they can pull this off it, it would be pretty sad if they just muddled what that first trilogy was by making it a direct spin-off trilogy that doesn't really come together like those Andy Serkis ones did
1: 2024 seems really soon, but then again, we've got our whole cast and director already lined up alongside the official announcement of this film, so we'll see how much this gets delayed.
0: (laughs) Yeah, seriously, so we probably won't have to worry about it for a while.
1: Speaking of things that we have to worry about forever, Armor Wars, the roadie-led Don Cheadle-starring Disney Plus Marvel series, is going to be re-edited... From its series to a feature-length film, which indicates two things to me. One, (laughs) it's probably better than they anticipated it being. And two, its story is probably not very strong, because if Marvel felt like it wasn't enough story to to support a full series... Like, I know those two things seem conflicting, considering the fact that I don't have much interest in this project to begin with.
0: I mean, I I like the idea of Don Cheadle being the star here. I've, I've always liked Rhodey, his version of Rhodey, I guess. I don't care about the other one.
1: I like Don Cheadle. I don't know if I like Rhodey, is what I'll say about that.
0: Well, now maybe we'll get to see him a little more in-depth than, like, the comic relief in a movie where his co-star is the main comic element. It's Okay,
1: Seamus, uh, I don't know why you're saying more depth- when he is an Emmy-nominated actor in Falcon and the Winter Soldier.
0: Yeah, you're right. I, I completely misspoke, and that that's all I need to see, of course. His two seconds of screen time in that show.
1: Where he went, yeah, I'm sad my friend is dead, too. <laughs>
0: Oh, weird, God. and then he left. Yeah, we, weird stuff. But, I mean, I am hoping that your assumptions that it might be better off from the higher-up standpoint as a movie. Because, like, we, we've we talked many times, even on this show, when we cover Disney series that are, are so rampant everywhere now, that sometimes they just feel like they could be movies and that they, they might have been better as a Can as a. Yeah, exactly. You know, stuff like that. If that means that in the future we could get properties that are, are whittled down to the core a little bit more and, and come in one good piece rather than stretch it out as like one okay series then I'm all for it I'm I'm more excited for this because I mean I wasn't really thinking about Armor Wars I know it's been on that calendar for years and years but now you know I'm I'm interested I'm in for it
1: see that's what makes you and me different Seamus I'm constantly thinking about Armor Wars (laughs) it's
0: Armor Wars and Black Adam okay those are the two main things in superhero stuff that I think about
1: the power hierarchy of the exterior exoskeleton suit (laughs) Wearing superheroes in the Marvel Cinematic Multiverse is about to change. (laughs) It's about
0: to change. And Don Cheadle is there. And he's going to be great. I can't wait.
1: He's not the one who's changing the power hierarchy. That's Ironheart in the new Black Panther. Oh, right. Yes, of course. Jeez. Uh, Speaking of the power hierarchy of...
0: (laughs) of You know what? I love your transitions, Garrett.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Of the Illumination Universe? Sure, sure. Um of the mushroom king the power <laughs> hierarchy of the yeah, mushroom, the mushroom kingdom, kingdom is about
0: to change. Uh according to this new Mario movie trailer, it kind of seems like it if we're being honest. We finally got some voice that that's what i've been so excited to take a listen to is is the voice talents in this movie and we finally got a little snippet in this mario movie trailer but what what did you think about it garrett the
1: humor is more dialed back than i expected it to be for an illumination project that's not necessarily saying I'm, like, thrilled about it, but it it's fine, <laughs> it seems. I was really pleasantly surprised at how much I was digging the look and tone mm-hmm. of Bowser at the beginning here. I was really happy with the way Luigi looked. We got our tiny little look at Luigi oh, yeah. at the end there. I had kind of underestimated them that they were just going to rely too heavily on vague, oh, Mario just is the way it's always been, and so... He already knows Peach, he and Luigi are already superheroes or whatever, but I like the fact that this seems to be something of an, I shudder to say it, origin story. <laughs> but, you I know, mean, it, it
0: kind of looks like it, yeah.
1: This idea that he's a plumber exposed to this new magical world and everything, that has a bare bones story structure, a hero's journey structure that I think could work really well. I do not like the way Mario looks. I do not like the way Toad looks. I do not like the way Mario sounds. I do not like the way Toad sounds. Not that we hear a lot of Mario at all. Uh, it's I think... enough to
0: be weirded out by it, though. He doesn't even say, you know, let's go. He, he's just like a guy, kind of.
1: I've been saving this for you, Seamus. You know who I think he sounds like?
0: <laughs> who do you think he sounds like?
1: Linda Belcher.
0: <laughs> That's so funny! Yeah, it really does though. It really does. It's very. Can you play the audio for me for just a second? Mushroom Kingdom, here we come! yeah he really does though all right yeah bobby we're going to the mushroom kingdom that's so funny oh i can't wait to see this movie even more now i i didn't even want to see it before now that's gonna that's gonna get me through it instead of just the regular guy chris pratt voice
1: the only thing that will truly make me happy is this is a tangent from which we will return to the actual trailer <laughs> okay i need in the third act of this movie Whenever there's an inevitable race sequence oh a la Mario Kart, of course, I would like somebody to pull up in a black cart and it's a toad. He doesn't have his mushroom cap on, so it's just like a smooth toad head. Oh, God. And out of its mouth comes Vin Diesel's voice, <laughs> and he's like, You two are brothers. That means you're fair. <laughs>
0: Oh yeah, the Mario and Luigi are having a little bit of a feud in the third act. And they, they have to yes. What is the Mario equivalent of a massive Jesus piece that that toad <laughs> could wear? It's like a it's like a one-up mushroom maybe or a star?
1: I think a one-up mushroom because the star <laughs> seems to be the MacGuffin <laughs> in this which Oh yes. makes a lot of sense to me actually.
0: I can get behind that. I'm my wish for this movie is to have more Mario spin-off things like you said like Mario Kart. I want a Mario Party sequence. I want a reference to What's that weird GameCube one where Mario is in, like, a tropical island? And he's like... Super Mario like, Sunshine? Yes! It's like Splatoon or whatever. You have, like, a water gun. Give me, I want all that stuff.
1: I'm hoping that they will incorporate those things well and not just be like, But I don't know how to drive. Or, I'm sorry. <clears throat> <clears throat> <laughs> but I don't know how to drive.
0: <laughs> oh, that's what modern Mario sounds like. That's what they're trying to do to us, man. I, I almost look at things like, I guess I didn't see the second Wreck-It Ralph movie, but the first Wreck-It Ralph movie incorporated a lot of very seamless, fun references in a way that I feel like I could see from this movie. But this is not a Wreck-It Ralph podcast, this is a <laughs> It's Me, a Mario you know there's going to be Jurassic World references with a Yoshi, where he puts his hand oh, up. Oh, no. They I mean, absolutely... is that fun? Is that something? If it's a little dinosaur, Yoshi, like, it's sticking his tongue if out. If it's
1: really quick, it's fun. If it's anything longer than like a split second of him doing the gesture, it's not fun. <laughs> I wonder if they will have Yoshi in this movie. I feel like that is something that they should save. Super Mario World is when Yoshi know, shows oh, yeah, up in I the Oh, yeah, I guess games. that is true. I feel like that could be a post-credit sequence of, like, there's an egg and it starts to crack. Oh, yeah, that's and fun. And then that's when Mario goes, here we go.
0: Don't make me kind of want to see this, Gary. Come on, <laughs> that's stupid. As long as they're not trying to burn the Smash Bros. tease too early, the Smash Brothers movie tease...
1: Maybe it'll be excellent. Maybe we'll love it. Maybe the Chris Pratt Azance is upon us. (gasps) Oh god, if only that were true.
0: He's gonna be in everything anyway. He might as well be good, right?
1: Well, let's talk about a movie that you and I are actually, like, unironically, genuinely excited for. It's official, coming to Peacock soon, the community movie. Hashtag six seasons of the movie is finally finishing up.
0: Six seasons in a movie, dude. I can't believe it. After so many years of talks, that show is absolute gold and I I even like the, the Yahoo season. Season 6 I don't think is bad at all. I think there's really, really good episodes in there. I am ecstatic for this movie. I'm really hoping that Donald Glover comes back and Yvette Brown comes back and Chevy Chase does not come back because that'll be a weird thing for that movie to have but I am sure they have been planning what this movie would be for the last 7 years so i'm i'm sure they they're going in head first and doing doing it going to be doing it good
1: i'm not frankly particularly interested in a community movie without Troy, in it.
0: Troy and Abed. That is the, I mean, the best part of that show. It has to be a major part of the movie as far as I'm concerned. I feel like over the years there's been so many interviews where they've just straight out said, we can't really do this movie unless we have Donald. So I exactly. Mean, I think it's all coming together finally and I'm I'm incredibly excited. Does he ever get off that boat with LeVar Burton?
1: No, no the way he ends that show from the like, newscast epilogue scrolling text that we read is that
0: he and LeVar Burton have been kidnapped by pirates oh my god that should be the plot of the movie right or at least the cold open them escaping from pirates or
1: the study group has to go save Troy from the pirates
0: I can imagine Dean Pelton's pirate outfit now and I'm I'm, I'm loving it. I love I, it.
1: You know what I want? I want a 20-minute opening sequence that is just the opening of Return of the Jedi, <laughs> except it's the community gang slowly infiltrating That's, a pirate layer. Oh, my layer. God
0: that's incredible i would love every second of that
1: they sell abed as a pop culture translator to these pirates who don't understand anything but pirate talk dean pelton wants to join the pirate crew but they don't want him
0: is dean pelton in a slave leia outfit like being both i think both (laughs) at the same time he wants to be that's part of the plan is that he is doing that but they just straight up don't want him there
1: obviously britta in disguise but she's not good at being in the bounty hunter disguise <laughs> she gets like offended too easily oh yeah and starts trying to be like politically correct i guess annie is then there with her in the chewbacca role and then finally of course clad in all black One black glove, a Uh, weird bowl cut, (laughs) in walks Jeff Winger to talk his way out of this whole situation
0: that would be a dream truly that's like the dream cold open for this movie is it weird if chevy chase is the Jabba in this scenario maybe but i still don't think he's coming back for a thousand different reasons i don't think chevy chase i don't think there's any way (laughs)
1: they will probably name drop pierce at some point well we will talk more about the community movie coming up for our pop culture reference but we should get into our main segment
0: let's noir it up buddy let's do it
1: Today's main segment is the triumphant return of Star Noirs, where we cover episodes 4 and 5 of the Disney Plus original Star Wars series, Andor. So Seamus, overall, what were your thoughts on this?
0: I am still really liking what I'm seeing out of this show. I think Andor is setting a standard that I hope we can keep up with in Star Wars uh, series that we have going on, because I know we're... About to break in, do a bunch more. It's, it's never going to end. So I'm really liking what I'm seeing here. Definitely thought we were going to get to a bigger climax in the stuff they've been setting up. But this slow burn and the attention to the new characters that we've been introduced to in these last few episodes, it's working really well for me. And I'm glad that this is 12 episodes because we still have a long way to go. And I'm, I'm liking what we're looking at here. But but what did you think of these next two episodes?
1: I adore the pacing, where it is, like you said, really taking the time to get to know these new characters that they're introducing each episode, and show Cassian's reaction to them, how they're impacting them. Mm-hmm. It's a much more psychologically focused Star Wars show than we've ever had, and I definitely think it's the slowest paced Star Wars thing ever.
0: Yes, definitely out of everything I've ever seen at the very least.
1: This show is all about implication and inference and reaction shots in a way that Star Wars so seldom is Mm. making Cassian the emotional center or in some cases the unemotional center of this larger movement around him and getting to know the players in that game before he actually starts playing a vital role that we see him obviously later playing in Rogue One is a really nice way to ease us into this world make the universe feel really big in a way that Star Wars of late has had a problem mm-hmm. with Star Wars has been making the universe feel a lot smaller by including all of these connections and cameos and easter eggs and sticking to certain planets and certain timelines and everything and I really like that this show is completely unafraid to be its own space drama. In these last couple episodes, we've seen the introduction of Mon Mothma. I don't feel like that's really a spoiler. I don't, yeah, I
0: think we're clean on that.
1: But with that, that's still only two pre-established characters in this entire first five episodes that we're interacting with.
0: Not to mention all of the newer Imperial friends we have in episode five that's here.
1: crazy, dude. There's so many people. Yeah,
0: seriously. So many interconnecting stories. So many stories that have been introduced that I am fascinated to see the trajectory that they're going on right now and how it's going to ultimately kind of come all the way back together there. And I'm super excited to see more of these Imperial guys and super excited to see more of these characters that... Andor is specifically interacting with so far that I can't get too far into right now, but are some of my favorite additions into this show so far out of everything.
1: I think this is the first Star Wars show, genuinely the first one of these Disney Plus Star Wars shows, because I'm going to exclude Clone Wars and Rebels, but I'm just talking about live action stuff Uh right now, where... I cannot wait for next week to see what happens next on this
0: show. Oh, dude, I'm telling you. Again, the pacing. It's so slow enough that I am clamoring for more in each of these episodes. There There were so little of a few very key characters that they've been setting up as main players here in these last two episodes that I am... I'm seething. I want to see what's going down with our our Corpo boys. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I do know what you mean. I think somehow we're already going to have to dive into episode four and five spoilers just because there's so much to talk about despite the fact that yes, it is such I think so. slow, deliberate pacing, but this show continues to impress me. It continues to be objectively the best Star Wars series by miles, I think.
0: Yeah, I I agree by far. I'm already ready for next week's star noirs, man. I'm telling you.
1: All right, let's spoiler it up now.
0: <laughs> yes, please. Where 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 shall we begin here? Because they like you. I mean, you mentioned Mon Mothra and Mon Mothma. Mon Mothra? Mon Mothra. That's the best. Where's that fan art? But, I mean, I'm loving what they're doing with her finally giving so much more, even in the short time that we have with her in these two episodes here. Her interactions with Luthen and her behind-the-scenes funding of, of the Rebellion before she does her big speech that we were talking about last week or uh, two weeks ago on our, on our other Andor episode. I'm really digging it. And her jerk-ass family is infuriating to me. Her (laughs) husband is the worst. I I love him so much.
1: I'm really glad to see how much they're humanizing her because I think it would have been really easy just to put her in, like, these big senatorial Mm -hmm. meetings and having her rub elbows with Bail Organa and all these characters that we're already familiar with. And I think putting her in a much more on-the-ground situations at the beginning of this whole revolution. Letting her be a lot more human than she's ever been Mm -hmm. are both really good decisions that I'm really encouraged by because she's always been this kind of stoic figurehead from her very first appearance in Return of the Jedi. Her role in Rebels and her role in Rogue One, while there is some emotional core to those appearances... I think that ultimately she's there to just be like the guiding light, the woman yeah. in white, you know, with her bull cut and everything. And I'm glad to see how hard this is for her, how much she has to come up against not only these forces in Coruscant, in the politics of it all with her drivers and other senators and things like that, but within her own family, she is truly never allowed to be herself. And I think that informs so much of what we know is going to happen with that character going forward and her choice to abandon all of that to become the leader of the rebellion.
0: Yeah, I I cannot wait to see her character be furthered even more from this and more than likely have to abandon her family. I'm actually I'm pretty positive that her family is going to betray her in some right to the, the more imperial aligned members of the Senate. That, I think so that husband is friends with, yeah, and yeah. that the daughter is obviously... I I think I read that the daughter character was lifted a lot of the inspiration from that character from the EU, and I don't know a ton about that, but she seems like she's not super on the, on the level with the anti-imperial stuff.
1: I have no awareness of Mon Mothma having a family in the EU, or really any of Mon Mothma's stuff from the EU. I remember her page in that big character encyclopedia from like 2002. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I know that there's never been any allusion to her having a family. Yeah, exactly. Or like she has a really good from a certain point of view chapter that's about what she's doing during the Battle of Yavin because she's obviously not in episode four. With all of the humanity that's imbued to her in those moments, we don't learn anything about a family, which, yeah, makes me think that Probably they're not people that she sees anymore.
0: Yeah, I would have so loved to have seen that dinner party that she was arguing with her husband about, where it's like uh, more inner workings of like her being turned on internally within the Senate and her family turning on her in her own household. I mean, that's not to say that we might not get to see that as the show goes on, but I am I'm ready to see more of that because her character in her character interactions are just fascinating. We talked about Luthen before her interaction with Luthen in his in his collectible shop that he is kind of running. Loved that. Again, it's the boots on the ground. She is dealing in the espionage that she is funding to a certain level. She can't trust anybody. Her new driver can't be, you know, within earshot, all that stuff. I I think it's fantastic.
1: I really liked Luthen In this episode, I felt like giving him the complexity that I was waiting for him to show in those first couple episodes has really paid off. Oh yeah. Because I think I said on our last Star Noirs that Skarsgård is the part of this that was not working for me so far. And giving him this dual life and showing that his entire business, his entire livelihood is a front... And they have that great sequence of him putting on his wig and his rings and his purple robes and his big fancy belts and vests and stuff. And juxtaposing that with how serious and intense he gets with Cassian and with Mon Mothma and that this is really where his passion lies. Mm. That was a fascinating thing to dive into i think with him and i really want to see more of that one of my favorite scenes from these last couple episodes was that last season episode five where he's just listening on the radio anxious about this whole deal that he's set up yeah trying to see what's going to happen saying you know tomorrow this will all be over or it will have just begun it also seems to me like and I don't want I know that we have some easter eggs to talk about in Lisa's <laughs> Oh yes shop, of course but I want to get your read on what his relationship with the leader of the rebel cell that's infiltrating this imperial base is
0: I mean the obvious one is father daughter which I think isn't what is going on here um I think it could be an, a way to insert other factions of the Rebellion through this character into Andor's story with Luthan, but I am not entirely sure. It was such a weird angry curt interaction that they had that it almost feels like a military mentor mentee kind of thing which is kind of what they're doing anyway even though it's more of a guerrilla style but I am I'm still entirely unsure and I would love to hear what your theories are
1: well at first I rejected the idea of it being a father-daughter relationship that was my initial impulse as Mm -hmm. well but the more I thought about the themes that seem to be cropping up in these last couple episodes between Mon Mothma and her daughter not having a good relationship where they completely believe in different things. Same thing with Deputy Inspector Karn returning home, tailed between his legs to his awful mother, who is, she played the witches in the new Macbeth, and she was so excellent in that, and I'm glad to see her in this as well. All of this tension between these parental figures and their children, I think that Probably, even if it's not a bloodline between those two, Mm. they seem to have some kind of parental connection just based on the themes that we've been kind of building up over the last couple episodes.
0: Yeah, I could get behind that. Almost paralleling Cassian's relationship with his adoptive mother and the ideas of, like, bringing somebody into this life that might not be the best life or a good life at all, but it's, like, for what your own moral compass is telling you to do. It very well could be that adoptive father-daughter relationship and the willingness of Luthen to insert Cassian into this super last-minute plan and have all of this faith in him in a way that he doesn't even have to feel the need to explain to... The, the rebel cell that he's funding and, and helping out here. I, I think it very well could be something like that.
1: I also really liked in that exchange that Luthan has with this woman, the reveal that he seemingly doesn't care about Cassian, that the whole narrative that we build up over the first three episodes of Cassian is special. He's been plucked from obscurity to come into this great big rebellion and play a really super important key role is all just an illusion. It's a lie that Luthien is selling him to get him in on this job where he is so desperate that when he brings Cassian along, they don't even want him. They don't want Cassian. They don't want help. I really like that, turning it on its head. It feels very Blade Runner. Again, I think, especially 2049, wrestling with the idea of, Are you chosen for greatness or do you do important things because you're the only one that can do them? Star Wars, for a long time, has sided with the idea that you're chosen, predestined for greatness, that it's in your lineage, that it's the will of the Force. Not to say that this isn't the will of the Force, but the idea that the mentor figure in this show, in fact, doesn't seem to actually think Cassian is destined for anything other than to be a hired gun on a suicide mission.
0: That could very well be the angle, but then you have to look at things like giving Cassian his very special Sky Kyber medallion necklace, or the fact that he's not even going to allow the operation to go forward unless Cassian is involved, and the fact that they were entirely unprepared For the heist itself until Cassian got there to explain more about the technicalities of how they're going to steal all this money. It seems like he might be playing other people for the idea of he doesn't care about Cassian and he's just doing that for the hired gun angle of it all. But in reality, it seems to me at least that he has a lot more of a personal investment in Cassian and what he's doing With the Rebellion and individually, he kind of scoops him up there, and I I feel like that might not entirely be all farce on that side.
1: I completely agree. But I like the fact that there is a Star Wars show where there's enough gray area in character motivations, and again, we were talking (laughs) about inference and implication earlier, there's almost nothing explicitly stated about the way he feels about Cassian, it's Mm -hmm. all about how he presents Cassian to other characters, and how he treats Cassian through actions between the two of them that is leading us to these conclusions. I mean, he does say, I came for you, da-da-da. It's not to say that there isn't compelling conversation, compelling dialogue between the two of them that is character-motivated. It's really refreshing to be able to mine all of this from a lot of characters that there's no reason, quote-unquote, to, in normal Star Wars logic, flesh out all these characters as well oh, yeah. as they have instead we would have to wait to get the little like dirty dozen comic that's the prequel <laughs> yeah, about the five yeah. months that they spent training before Cassian showed up and then we'd retroactively be like oh wow those are really interesting characters sucks that they're all gonna die next week because <laughs> I know they haven't died yet but like we are definitely watching little uh commie kid get oh, absolutely oh yeah, dude horribly killed
0: He's going to get bodied by, like, a TIE fighter that sweeps the ground, which was an, also an awesome moment of that episode. That Very intimidating. He's going to get destroyed, and someone's going to have to, like, pick up his little manifesto that he's writing and spread the word.
1: And the implication is that the two women on the crew are in a relationship, so I feel like one of them is getting fridged for sure.
0: I give this crew a 50% mortality rate at yeah. least, you know. They're they're going down.
1: It's gonna be like that heist scene from solo where just everyone dies.
0: I was gonna I was gonna bring that up too. It's like that heist scene from solo, except they give us a couple episodes of liking these characters and getting to know them.
1: I like the John Favreau monkey. I don't know. I do
0: too, but that's like that's the only thing I remember. Woody Harrelson's wife gets exploded or something. I don't know.
1: I don't really remember either, to be honest. <laughs> but I like the Jon Favreau monkey, so... Yes,
0: but if the Jon Favreau monkey was here in this crew, I'd be even happier, but...
1: <laughs> he couldn't be. That's... that's. I think Solo is five years before this.
0: Yes, technically he could not.
1: I did like, speaking of Easter eggs and Solo, that the Mimbin campaign, Cassian is confirmed to be on Mimbin at the same time that Han was.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, I get, that is... Oh, wow. That is awesome. I I didn't even put those together. I I forgot Mimbin was that planet.
1: I like the fact that there is this terrible Gettysburg esque conflict 10 years before the Battle of Yavin that is just absolutely horrific. Yeah, that's dark.
0: 50 survivors. That's dark as hell.
1: I am really interested in seeing Cassian talk more about his past with that kind of stuff. I'm kind of glad we've moved away from flashbacks in these last couple episodes so that we can focus more on what's going on with Cassian as a whole and let that backstory be, be filled in like it was in these episodes with Mimbin with dialogue. That's something that I hope continues. I don't think we need more flashbacks to to tell us who Cassian is and where he comes from.
0: Yeah, I agree. I I was actually fully expecting a ton more flashbacks, and it was refreshing that we kind of just got to stick with the story that we have now of Cassian kind of trying to integrate himself into this band. And at the same time, having the ISB get integrated into this story, which is awesome. I loved seeing the inner workings of the the Imperial Security Bureau. It is indeed those characters have been very lightly sprinkled in through the new canon and now we're kind of getting to the like weird boss subordinate relationships that these imperial officers are having with each other and again the butting of heads that we see a lot in stuff like rogue one where specifically in the higher ranks of the empire there it is cutthroat and angry and ruthless in a way where they're like popping pills at one point to get ahead of the other guy who's like doing all this extra work that they're trying to undercut it i, I i'm fascinated by this new blonde lady who is the the isb agent that is probably gonna team up with Karn, I imagine. That's what I'm thinking.
1: I'm thinking yeah. her research is going to lead her to Deputy Inspector Karn, which cannot happen soon enough because he is my sweet baby boy. Oh, and I we want got him so little everything. of
0: him. Seriously, I I feel so bad for him tucked away in his like mom's bedroom. It's horrible.
1: Here's the thing. They've genuinely put him in a place where, I mean, obviously he's going to go Imperial, but I do feel like if they started teasing that he could maybe rebel up, I would almost believe it.
0: That's what I'm saying, dude. It's the, we keep going, every character in these episodes have laid out a little bit of like what has been taken from them, from the Empire. And Karn didn't care about the Empire. He doesn't give a damn about the Empire. He's like, I have a duty to my, my friends and my other officers and the company that, you know, to him has a level of respect that he's trying to uphold. I feel like the Empire has really taken that from him, man. I I think he might be too angry about it.
1: Because he has a warped sense of right and wrong, but he does care about doing what's right. And he's overzealous, yes, but I do think that with the right form of mentorship, which he's not going to get because blonde lady's going to swap in and de-mentor him. But with the right kind of mentorship, I think he could be pointed in the right direction, which is, again, the sign of a compelling character And uh, to interrupt the idea of us talking about compelling characters, did you catch the ISB explicit Rebels reference?
0: I don't know if I did. What what was the explicit reference? Because it's 5
1: BBY when the series is taking place, which is also the timeline of the first season of Rebels. And I think it's either in the big staff meeting or later when she's popping pills working with her subordinate. There is mention of a a bunch of unpleasantness on Kessel. Oh,
0: dude, I that totally went right over my head.
1: Yeah, so that's the first. Uh, Hell what, yeah! Three episodes of Rebels is specifically what? about an uprising on Kessel, or not an uprising, but kind, you know,
0: but some trouble, some unpleasantness. Yes, I, which... I, I mean, also Karn's mom had some prickly pear fruits with his yes. cereal too, which I like to see. We yeah. don't want to move too far away from Easter eggs before we talk about Luthen's little shop he has over there, because there was a lot a great packed thing in to there talk about. Yeah. Obviously, the big one, which is just very funny and bonkers, is the Shinkara stones from the Temple of Doom sitting on the shelf up there.
1: Just in plain view. They're right there. <laughs> yeah. They're not even trying to hide that's it. That's
0: just, yeah, the The colors just pop, those, like, amber stones. It's it's great. I heard that there was a Indy's whip frozen in carbonite somewhere, which I didn't catch. I think
1: that's a stretch. It does look like a whip, but I think it could be anything. Because like, that would be
0: too much. If they did the stones and the whip, that would be too much.
1: It's still an Easter egg, so who really cares? Yeah. It's not like a head-on look at the whip. It's stacked up with other things in carbonite. You know, what's actually funny. In the episode 9 sequence where John Williams plays the bartender, they have a artifact that's supposed to represent every movie that Williams ever scored. One of the artifacts is the Shankara stones. Indicating oh. that they're probably the exact same things. It's all
0: connected. I love it.
1: But what else did you notice, Seamus um, and shop?
0: Some very comically large holocrons, both Jedi and they're, Sith. They're, hu- they're I huge. Mean,
1: Sith holocrons sometimes are depicted as being pretty big. But like that, Jedi holocron is
0: <laughs> massive. <laughs> is so big. Yeah, those, those, are, those are fun. There was a Gungan shield, like a bubble shield thing I from episode one, one. That's cool. I mean I think the most interesting thing in the entire shop is the set of Star Killer armor from the Force Unleashed video games which I thought was big to me to see that. Maybe one step closer into getting some kind of Star Killer canon version of that character and some kind I mean it would be crazy but they would obviously have to rewrite the hell out of it but i i like that they're they're sprinkling it in a little more and that maybe we'll see some actual narrative tie-in to what those games were did you have any other uh, artifacts in there that you were you were specifically excited about well
1: one off you didn't even mention the mandalorian armor ah was, that is true yeah, I, I went softball, straight to Killer. but the two things that i was really excited about that i caught were there is a very ornate Twi'lek Kalikori along the back wall behind the Mandalorian armor. Oh. Which is, for those who don't know stupid made up Star Wars words, <laughs> it's this kind of family heirloom that Twi'leks have that was introduced in Star Wars Rebels with Hera and her family. It's basically the stick that has two, like, braids hanging off of it, almost like Twi'lek's Leku that go off mm-hmm. the back of their yeah. head. And it's supposed to represent different things that are important to each member of the family as they go on and they descend. I'm expecting to see Haras probably show up in some capacity in Mm. Ahsoka, so it makes sense for them to be kind of reintroducing that concept in live action. It also looks so special, it looks like some kind of like Calder mobile or something, so I'm guessing it's some kind of Twilek royalty. The other thing that You're not probably as familiar with, although it's on Clone Wars, but it's in the very end of Rebels, which you haven't gotten to yet. They have tablets, like pieces of ruins of an old fresco or something that seem to depict the Mortis archetypes from... The ancient origins of the Force, the father, the son, and the daughter, right. the father that represents balance, and the daughter and the son that represent the light and the dark respectively. In the Clone Wars, the, the analogy is that Ahsoka is the daughter, Anakin is the son, and Obi-Wan is the father. So...
0: Yeah, that is true. That is true.
1: That'll be a really interesting thing to kind of track that trajectory as it goes on. But that, I really was excited to see that Easter egg.
0: This this show is pretty chock full of Easter eggs so far, I, I but like not in an obnoxious way, which I'm really appreciating. The, the very background stuff, you know, that the ship that is like the ghost in the first couple episodes and the, the shop was going to be chock full of stuff regardless. But it's not as in your face as it could be.
1: No, the thing that they reference is like an Uda Powan Club or something, which is just like that's a planet yeah. that exists in the Star Wars universe. It's not like, look, this is Darth Maul's lightsaber or whatever <laughs> yeah. stupid thing.
0: You know, Darth Karn Maul. is eating blue milk with his cereal, and we're like, all right, there we go, check that, check that off. That that is that exists within the universe.
1: And I'm sure people online are complaining about how the show doesn't have any fan service in it or whatever, or cameos and. I mean, this is the kind of fan service I want from my Star Wars is just allusions to the greater universe that aren't in your face and don't make the universe feel too small. And I'm really enjoying, again, how independent this story feels and that the things that are brought up seem more thematic, like Luthin talking about an artifact that represents some kind of two-faced deity And that's not something I was familiar with in Star Wars canon. I don't know if it exists in Legends or anything like that, but that is clearly more of a reference to the themes present in the episode Mm -hmm. with these two characters having to hide their true selves than it is to, like, I know what that is. (laughs)
0: Yes, exactly.
1: As predicted, I feel like now that we're done talking about the Easter eggs, I've lost my (laughs) sense of direction when talking about the larger scope of the series here. We've talked about Mon Mothma, we've talked about Luthan, we've talked about our eclectic little gang of rebels. I guess we've not really talked about Cassian.
0: I mean, he's been doing great again, the way they integrate him into that rebel cell where he has a couple moments of just like pure surprise that they don't really know what they're doing out there that he has to kind of run clean up after nearly every single one of them had a problem with him even being there in the first place. The small steps into him becoming that competent rebel captain in Rogue One that I really am enjoying seeing. And I'm super pumped to see this heist go down the next episode. We've got a lot of characters that I think aren't making it out of episode 6.
1: I really enjoy seeing the realization that he has that it's not just about the willingness to be involved or the willingness to do the hard thing or the dangerous thing. That sometimes you're just the only person that can do it. And that's enough. It's this idea of great power and great responsibility, Mm. right? Like, he's the person... That can help people, so it's his responsibility to help people, and seeing that moral imperative way on him, even though he thinks he's just there as a mercenary, he's just there to get paid, it's a really nice way to have that character, like you said, take those baby steps to who we know seeing that thought process go without him really even talking about it to anyone it's not like he has a little droid buddy that he's like man bd i really wish that i didn't feel so attached to these characters or
0: whatever <laughs> yeah oh i do miss i do miss b2 though he's he's a, he's a good boy I, can, I i hope he comes back soon i'm when-
1: assuming we'll go back to that planet because We've seen the imperial occupation, even if we haven't seen any characters that we know from that world that mm-hmm. Cassian started on. So I'm assuming we'll get back with Bix and Aunt Petunia and B2 and that guy who tied the tether to the ship. Yeah, and all that. yeah.
0: I assume after Kami kid dies in Cassian's arms next episode, he's gonna he's gonna rally back to to the homestead.
1: Well, something that I was thinking about is, wouldn't it be interesting if Cassian? who seemed so apolitical and the world around him seemed so keep your head down, stay out of trouble, and just get the job done. The Imperials now officially occupying that space could be the thing that sparks the rebellion in that world. The direct correlation between the Empire's might, the tighter your grip, the more star systems will slip through your fingers, Tarkin. So I like this idea that Cassian fresh off of a heist that's probably not going to go well, wanting to recede from the rebellion and go back mm. to his home world, only to find that everybody that he cares about is a full-fledged rebel, I think would be really interesting.
0: Yeah, man, I'm waiting for that drum alarm tower guy to, like, put down his hammers and join the fight. You know, he's not oh. he's not banging those drums today. He's, he's going out there with the guns, with the gat.
1: I want to see those big hammers knocking into stormtrooper armor oh
0: hell yeah the armorer style but like a yeah. lot more heavy-handed he's got his headphones on you know he's jamming <laughs> I'm, oh that's gonna be awesome
1: i cannot wait for next wednesday i couldn't be more excited to see what is presumably the heist episode i really thought five was gonna be the heist yeah, episode oh,
0: me too dude uh, but i'm ready to see it all blow up in their faces that imperial guy is definitely going down with the ship Prison buddy, maybe. I feel like the prison guy's going to stay around for a little longer. Can't wait, man. Can't wait. Star Noirs next week. But what do you say we kick it on over to the pop culture reference this week?
1: Let's reference it up.
0: This week's pop culture reference is six seasons and a movie. The phrase six seasons and a movie has been used as the rallying cry from the fans and creators from the cult sitcom community. With this week's confirmation that the film is indeed happening with most of the show's original cast. Let's look back at where this phrase started, and how it evolved over time. The phrase first appeared in the season 2 episode, Paradigms of Human Memory, a clip show episode where all of the clips featured were created specifically for that episode, in contrast with the majority of sitcom clip episodes, which are cost-saving measures, largely using footage from previous episodes. A reoccurring gag throughout the episode is Abed's fixation on the short-lived NBC superhero series, The Cape. As Jeff gets progressively more annoyed with Abed's antics, this exchange occurs.
1: The show's going to last three weeks! Six seasons in a movie! While The Cape was cancelled after 10 of its 13 originally planned episodes, Community lived long enough to see one of The Cape's stars, Keith David, join as a series regular in the sixth season. With Community frequently teetering on the brink of cancellation, the phrase, six seasons in a movie, would often be reprised by fans whenever the series seemed in jeopardy. When NBC cancelled the show after season five, The hashtag was broken out once again as ill-fated streaming service Yahoo Screens produced the show's sixth and final season, completing the first half of the series' unofficial catchphrase.
0: After seven years of rumors and false starts, an official announcement was recently made that a community movie would finally fulfill the long-upheld hashtag and a movie that was sparked on the final episode in 2015. Though production has yet to officially begin... Original actors from the series have voiced serious interest in returning to reprise their roles, including Paget Brewster as Frankie from the sixth and final season. Seamus, you ever watched The Cape? I didn't I literally only because of community I I ever wanted to watch The Cape because that episode is obviously very funny with those references but Abed's character keeps referencing The Cape throughout the series at different points that it always made me laugh I mean I remember when that show came out and the promos were there and I was like this looks super dumb but I would I would watch it just for the community reference I think
1: Back in 2011, Seamus, on the Netflix Wii disc, I watched all ten episodes oh, of The Cape. Oh my
0: god. Gee, th- did it end weird because of the last three cut oh, episodes?
1: absolutely. It ends so <laughs> dumb. It ends essentially on a cliffhanger.
0: Oh my god. Well, of course it would. We gotta, we gotta bring the hashtags back out to save The Cape now that this hashtag finally came to fruition seven years later.
1: Honestly... I think one of the great things the community movie could do is have an in-universe, they save the cape, and they all go watch the cape movie.
0: I mean, you're already burning a joke that they did on community, so I don't know if this is going to be... They go to like the evil universe in one episode, and Abed is like, in the evil universe, the cape never got canceled. It got six seasons in its movie. Or like six seasons in two movies. Oh, is that true? Yeah, man, it's like Evil Abed is talking to regular Abed. It was one of those weird episodes, and he's like, it never got canceled here, ah.
1: The main guy, I don't know if you know him from anything, but I always know him from that other show, Revolution, that didn't last very long, you remember (laughs) that? I do not
0: know that show was, man. It
1: was set in Chicago, and it was post-apocalypse, where all the power in the world got
0: zapped oh wait a minute are you making me unlock a memory of an entire season of a television show that i watched
1: and it had the dad oh, from twilight in it elizabeth mitchell from the lost and the santa claus dude i and... definitely do, do they
0: all have like muskets and like crossbows yeah, in that yeah. oh my god yeah dude i remember that and... show
1: Giancarlo Esposito is one of the bad guys what?
0: oh because of course he is
1: so yeah th- the main bad oh guy God. from that show was the cape and Summer Glau was his man in the chair and okay, Keith David it. was his mentor I would like to watch all three of them come back and do a oh, man. brief McBain style the cape <laughs> movie in would be the so community good. movie
0: that would be so funny. I would, I would be, I would would be. again, watch The Cape for that. Maybe I'll watch The Cape before this movie comes out, just in case there's a reference that I don't get. I would watch The Cape with you, Seamus. I would love to do that unironically, Garrett. Let's find the lost three episodes somewhere.
1: <laughs> They're sitting in a vault
0: at NBC. We have to do a heist. <laughs> Martin Scorsese finds three pages of a missing The Cape finale, and he reproduces it.
1: Zack Snyder's The Cape?
0: release the cape cut which it means nothing because it's just literally episodes that never aired
1: nothing else means anything (laughs) anymore so the snyder (laughs) cut is not so much a cut as its own feature film
0: that is true that is true but this isn't a snyder slash revolution cast we gotta we i think we gotta move on before we devolve even further
1: i think one of my favorite and least favorite things that we've been doing on the show lately is but this isn't a whatever (laughs) show.
0: Makes it a hell of a lot harder to cut things and make transitions sound super weird, but hey, it's funnier when we get them.
1: It's almost funnier if we have to leave the transition in, but we cut the rest of the tangent. You
0: have to, you have to cut all of the revolution talk, so it just makes absolutely no sense.
1: But this is a Lucky Charms show.
0: <laughs> Fine, we need to transition, Garrett.
1: Ah, let's move on to save the rec center. <laughs> Now it's time to save the rec center, where we bring you our weekly recommendations. Seamus, what have you been watching, slash reading, slash playing this week?
0: Well, I am restarting the absolutely fabulous series Futurama from the start again. It's one of those shows to me that it's it's like a anytime show. It's a background noise show. It's So funny and well written that it is a completely pay your entire attention to kind of show, and I've been you know like I said starting from season one, it's like doesn't start to get middling until like the reboot seasons that come like way later. Even then, I'm I still very much enjoy those newer ones, and this isn't even necessarily for getting ready for the new legacy continuation, whatever you want to call it, return of Futurama, but re. Seeing and rehearing jokes that will make me fully laugh out loud every time. I'm I'm I forget them and then I rehear them and they're they're just so good every time. Billy West is a voice god. I, I guess he voices like everyone on that entire show and he's lovely. I fantastic show. I, I'm sure you've watched it all the way through, but I think you need to maybe jump on it again if you need another background show lately.
1: I've not seen all the movies actually. So the kind movies
0: of... are great, dude. Did you see the D and D movie? No. Bro, what are you doing? How dare you! That movie's so good. Uh it's like a Lord of the Rings parody that gets crossed over with D and D rules, where instead of a ring, it's a D twenty that does like crazy powers when you roll it. Incredible. It's
1: Incredible,
0: fantastic. Me, you, and Fritz, we're gonna sit down to that bad boy. And
1: then they cross over with disenchantment, and oh the- god, I forgot
0: about disenchantment. Oh, man. Maybe. Maybe in another movie where they're doing more Futurama. Who knows? But what do you got on the Rec Center this week, Garrett?
1: Well, it is October over here, so I've been diving headfirst into horror, spooky, whatever, witchy, magical movies. And there is an excellent collection on the Criterion channel right now of 80s horror.
0: I do love me some 80s horror,
1: Garrett. And I think it's kind of cheating to rec center that entire collection, but I'm going to anyway, because included in its ranks are two extremely hard to find films. Michael Mann's The Keep, which I have not yet watched, which I don't think has ever gotten an official HD release. I know there is a like a grindhouse 4K scan Mm. of a 35 millimeter print floating around (laughs) the internet that I may or may not have come into contact with previously, but the one that I was really excited to watch and have watched and can attest to its awesomeness is Catherine Bigelow's solo film debut, Near Dark, which is a vampire movie. It's almost impossible to find anywhere in HD. The Blu-ray's like $100 to oh buy my used. God! It's not streaming anywhere other than on Criterion Channel. It is just... An absolute blast and a half. It's got a weird cult of vampires with Bill Paxton, Ooh. Vasquez from Aliens, Lance Henriksen, like all your Cameron favorites, you know. Hell yeah. They take a newbie into their ranks, this farm boy who's played by Adrian Pazdar from Heroes. If you know the show <laughs> Heroes, not he's is. Nathan Petrelli on Heroes. <laughs> he also voices iron man in lots of cartoons and he is one of the other pilots in top gun like the original sure top gun. sure he's the lead in this movie he's serviceable but it is a rip roar and spooky good time it is very unsettling it is unpleasant vampire violence but at the same time that's the point isn't it shamus
0: Oh, definitely, man. You know, I like me a good vampire comedy, and there's a lot of more tweeny vampire movies out there, but when a vampire movie can be legitimately unsettling, I am all about that. I I very much enjoy that. I know we got the Criterion access for another, like, two weeks, so I, I think I gotta jump on that while the spooky season is nigh.
1: Get on it, get on it, because it's a really good 80s horror collection. There's, like, 20 movies or something crazy. I'm not gonna get through them all. They also have Vampire's Kiss Starring Nicolas Cage as a vampire. Oh, I've always
0: wanted to see that movie.
1: So get on that.
0: Hell yeah, dude. I absolutely will.
1: But I think that wraps us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at PCR underscore podcast. You can email us directly at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Whatever platform you're listening on, whether it's YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, give us a thumbs up, leave us a rating, subscribe, leave a comment, engage in any way you can. It really helps the show out. Next week, Seamus and I will be suffering through Halloween ends. <laughs> um, you don't know
0: that it's going to be bad, I damn mean, it.
1: You know, they, they're they're 50 50 on this reboot franchise. <laughs> exactly. I, there were some things I didn't like about Halloween 2018, but I do hope that they're able to kind of. Especially after the filler episode that was Halloween <laughs> Kills. Pull off this landing on Halloween ends. I'd really like for it to be good. You know that.
0: Oh, dude, me too. I'm, I'm very excited for it one way or the other. But that is for next week's show, Garrett. Halloween will certainly end. Until they reboot it again, Garrett.
1: But this isn't a Jamie Lee Curtis (laughs) podcast. I was like, how are you going (laughs) to... This is the end of the show. Everybody, we will see you next week for uh, Halloween Kills Us.
0: Oh, can't wait. Adios and Question mark?